0: welcome to the women and money cafe i'm your host julie flynn independent financial advisor and financial coach and this is the weekly money podcast for women by women exploring the practical and emotional side of money welcome back to this episode of the women and money cafe now today What we're going to do is we're going to explain to you the whole Quality Street thing in a bit more detail. Now, regular listeners of the show will know that Michelle explains everything with Quality Street. And when we say that, what we mean is you've got all these different financial products out there that you can get. And we mention their names all the time. What we thought it might be handy for you is if we had a really short episode where we're going to talk you through each wrapper, i.e. financial product you might have and explain to you the tax implications of each one. So with me today to help you with that, I've got the Quality Street Woman herself, Michelle. Hi, Julie. And the pink-purple wrapper, Sarah. Hi, Julie. (laughs) All right. Thank you, ladies, for joining me today. So as I said, what we're going to do is we're going to walk you through the four most common products you are most likely to have in your financial life. And we're going to talk about the two most common taxes that are likely to impact your choice of products. So the products we're going to cover is an ISA, a general investment account, a pension and an investment bond. The two most common taxes we're going to talk about is income tax and capital gains tax. So that's what you can expect from us over the next 15 to 20 minutes. So, Michelle right? I know that you're really, really good at explaining all this stuff. Do you want to pick a product for us to start with? Oh, well,
1: I'll probably go with general investment account first, because that's the one where you start, really. Um, so general investment account is what it says. It, it is just an amount of money that is invested. There are no tax advantages, particularly to it. You will be taxed on your income and on any gains that you make within that.
0: All right. Sarah,
2: anything you would add to that? No, we, we it's probably the least one that is least tax-friendly, but it often forms an essential part of feeding into others that are more tax-friendly.
0: All right. So, Michelle, bouncing back there for a second, so you said that I, I am going to have to pay income tax on my general investment account. Can you tell me a bit more about how that works?
1: So as the funds are invested, um, you will get interest paid or dividends received. So interest will be from anything that's more cash or sort of fixed interest bond-based, it's what you'll hear. And capital gain, um, sorry, and dividends will be more from sort of shares equities. So they are taxed slightly differently, but they're both subject to income tax on there. And you will receive usually a certificate every year, which gives you a summary of what you have received during that year so that you can present that to hmrc with your self-assessment so that you make sure you pay the amount.
0: all right so inside my general investment account i'm going to have stuff and yeah. some of that is going to be stocks and shares some of it's going to be corporate bonds and gilts and what have you so what you're saying sometimes these things generate an income so the debt stuff producing interest and the stocks are producing dividends these are technically income i have to pay income tax on that yep i've got that awesome. Yeah. Okay, so does everybody have to pay income tax on them? Do I have to do a self assessment just because I've got a general investment account?
1: Not necessarily. However, ideally if you you're getting money that is taxable, you need to declare that somehow. So, it is likely that people in the position where they have these will be subject to self assessment. And these certificates will help you fill in those boxes on that form.
2: All right. Sarah, is there anything else I need to think about? Well, I think Michelle's covered the income tax. The capital gains tax would happen um, if you actually withdrew money from the investment. So it's going to look at how much you invested, how much it's worth now, if it's worth more. In really simple terms, you could be taxed on the difference. And we've had a nice reduction in the amount of capital gain we can receive without paying any tax. So there's a fair chance that, again, you would have to pay tax if you were taking money out or, indeed, cashing the whole lot in.
0: Right. That was irony there, by the way, listeners. We didn't have a nice reduction. It was horrible and we hate it. (laughs) Yes, sorry. That was my (laughs) irony. Okay, so then just to check the general investment account, I've got to pay tax on it, boo. So it's income tax, or if I sell some of the stuff, I may have a capital gain. I'll have to pay capital gains tax on that. Is there anything to offset any of these taxes, any way, that, any way to mitigate any of them? With income
1: tax, you will have some allowances that will apply, um, particularly for interest. So you, depending on what level of tax you pay, you will receive a, a savings allowance as such. Um, so basic rate taxpayer is £1,000 and high rate taxpayer is £500. So as long as your interest you've received from the bonds, gilts, cash, that type of thing is below that. There is no extra tax payable. Um, in terms of the capital gains side, there is, as Sarah alluded to, there has been a reduction. It's currently £6,000 of capital gains that you're allowed before you pay tax, and that goes down to £3,000 next year. But the one thing to be really mindful with that is as soon as your gain goes over that amount, you must do a self-assessment tax return. That triggers the need to do one.
0: All right. OK, so I think that's a really good summary then of where we stand with these general investment accounts. So we have some allowances, but they're not terribly generous. Uh, Chances (laughs) are they're going to trigger self-assessment. If you're in doubt, grab one of us or even an accountant can help with this as well. Okay, so that's as we've covered off general investments accounts. Okay, so Sarah, which of the three marvellous remaining products that we have left do you think we should start with
2: next? Oh, well, I could go right in with the favourite, which is pensions. But I'm going to say let's do Isis next because I'm like that. This,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, just because they kind of go they go hand in hand with a general investment account, don't they?
2: And ISAs are actually really good because um, despite the fact that we can still only put £20,000 into an ISA in each financial year or tax year, um, they have at least been around for quite a long time now. So for people who are able to use that allowance each year, they can build up quite a bit. The key thing with an ISA is... The money when it goes in is generally money that's already been taxed because it's money you've already earned and paid tax on. But once it's in that ISA, it grows free of income tax, free of capital gains tax. And when you take any money out as a lump sum, all of it, or as a regular income, it's tax free. They sound good, don't they? They do sound good, don't they? Is there anything you would add, Michelle?
1: The only thing I would add is, so if you've got one of the German investment accounts we've just talked about and you want to make that money more tax efficient, move 20,000 of that into your ISA every year. It doesn't mean you need to find new money to invest. It means you can move what's already invested into that ISA to make it more tax efficient. And if you over a number of years, that can build up quite
0: nicely. Yeah. All right. I think that's a great top tip. Just one other thing as well, just going back to the general investment account, even if you're not taking the income from the general investment account, you still have to pay tax on it. Mm. Just I thought I'd throw that in because sometimes the stuff that makes the money and sometimes produces an income. Sometimes we don't take that out as an income. We just leave it reinvested. Even Mm. if it's reinvested, you still have to pay income tax on it. Just thought I'd chuck that one in there. All right, but the ISAs are like a beautiful, lovely, shiny version of a general investment account (laughs) with none of that pesky tax stuff nonsense going on. So we like that. So... I interrupted Sarah because I asked her where she wanted to go next. She was like, shall we go for the favourite? And I said, no, let's go for pensions. And you're like, but you've just told me an ICE is completely tax-free, Julie. What, what on earth could be better than that? <laughs> it's a pension, isn't it? So, sorry, Sarah, I stole your thunder there. Shall, shall we Shall we leap into how pensions work from a tax point of view?
2: Pensions, we think, are the um, the golden nugget, basically, Because you can can get tax relief on the way in. They grow tax-free. You can get 25% tax-free when you take it out. There are lovely, really efficient ways to to pass monies on tax-free. For beneficiaries, income tax-free. We're not talking about the other tax. Um, They're just so blooming efficient. And they can be efficient for individuals. They can be efficient for people who've got businesses. We love them, don't we, girls? We love them.
0: Well, (laughs) I like them. I'm not gonna enter into a long-term relationship with one. (laughs) I love him. Okay, so listeners, we know that we know how Michelle feels about pensions because it's widely publicised. It turns out we've got another one in Sarah. Another one. Another one. So you covered you covered quite a lot there, Sarah. Let's drill drill down then because let's tackle the easy question first of all. Pensions and capital gains tax. What's the relationship there? Do we have to pay capital gains tax on our pensions? No. That's a no. So capital gains tax is a big fat no for pensions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Michelle, what happens to pensions and income tax? So Sarah's told us about all this wonderful tax relief, which is income tax relief on the way in. Do the government try and take income tax off our pension in any way? So whilst it's invested, no, it's tax-free. Um, so you get the benefit of that
1: growth. However, I think Sarah briefly mentioned that when you take it out, but when you want to retire and you want to use some of that money, you get 25% of your fund value tax-free. But the other 75% you will pay tax at your what we call marginal rate. So whatever rate of tax you pay. So if you're a higher rate taxpayer and you take taxable money out of that, you will pay higher rate tax. If you're a basic rate taxpayer, you'll pay basic rate tax. If you're a non-taxpayer, you'll pay zero so tax. And the same for additional rate taxpayer. So that's the bit to be really mindful of. And that's where generally financial planner is, is someone you need to then seek advice from if that's what you're looking to sort of take money out. That's the, the sort of the end of
2: the cycle. All right. Sarah, anything that you would add to that? I don't think so. I think it's it's the tax relief going in is often what's missed and tax relief going in is available again as michelle referred to to your marginal rate so whether you're but if you're a non-rate taxpayer you will still get basic rate tax relief going in um so it is based on earnings i don't know how much detail you want to go into that today um but there's tax relief going in and it's available to everybody Well we have a lot of fun running the cafe. The reason we do it
0: is to reach as many women as possible to empower them around money. So if you know a woman who would benefit from feeling financially empowered you can help them and us by sharing this episode with them. So if you don't earn anything not a penny and you stick money in a pension you're getting 20% tax relief straight away. That's free money. Mm-hmm. If you're a basic rate taxpayer, you're getting 20% chucked back in. If you're a higher rate taxpayer, 40% and so on and so forth. Um, and then, Michelle, you were saying on the way out, however, they're having some of that back, aren't they?
1: They are. They are, but it, the benefits that come with it still sort of, I suppose, outweigh, you know, the fact that you're paying tax on the way out because you can plan for that. You There is obviously things you can do to make that better for you in certain circumstances. And I think it's also to mention, obviously, as we said have a limit of £20,000. is important to remember that you can't put as much as you want in a pension. There are limits as to what can go in, and that's generally based on your earnings. So whilst you get more advantages, you can put higher amounts in than you could from an ISA if you earn over that 20000 As Sarah said, they are... The king of any, tax, you know, any investments we can give because there's so many benefits that
0: come with them. All right, so what I'm hearing then is the pensions are your favourites because loads of tax benefits, but a little bit more complex. Definitely. Whereas your ISA is super simple and tax-free. General investment account, bit of a pain in the butt because they want you to pay tax on it, but not many, not many other rules around it.
1: But it's also really useful to remember as well if you've got so as we said about the German investment account moving money to your ISA each year if you weren't making other contributions you can do the same to your pension as long as you're within the limits. so you can move money from your GIA your German investment account to your pension within those limits but again it gives you another avenue to take some money out of that taxable environment.
0: Yeah with my clients I draw it as a bucket And I've got my GIA bucket feeding all the other buckets, little taps that come off it, and you can see the pounds dripping into the pension (laughs) and the ISA. bit of a visual there for you folks. Um, Okay, so we have covered off now then general investment accounts, ISAs, and pensions, which leaves us the last one, which is investment bonds slash insurance bonds. Now, I'm just going to quickly caveat this because you'll get your bank offering you a fixed-rate bond, That is not the same thing as what we're talking about. You will see sometimes in the press things advertised member mini bonds. Again, not the same thing. When we talk about an investment-stroke insurance bond, we're talking about something that's been offered by the likes of Aviva, Legal in General, Royal London, companies like that. So this is a different kind of product entirely. So, Sarah, what would you like the listeners to know about investment bonds?
2: Compared to the ones we've just talked about, they might be the last port of call, but they can still be very useful in the sense that instead of getting tax relief, um, we call them tax deferred. And the base, their main use is that you can use them to help you plan ahead as to when you might take money out to when it's a time in your life when perhaps you're paying less tax. Um, So, if it's an onshore investment bond, because we haven't said which one we're talking about, then they paid 20% tax is paid is is assumed and is paid within the product so it's important i think to have advice around bonds because you need to make sure you're not paying 20% tax if you're a non taxpayer um but you can have up to 5% of your original investment back each year tax free it's it's treated as a withdrawal of your original capital um and it's it doesn't have capital gains. It's it's taxed as taxed as income, so it's free from capital gains tax. But a little bit more complicated, but with some good advice, and and they they can be useful in a in a financial plan. Right, ladies. Would it be fair to say? See, in my head, and tell me if I'm wrong.
0: <laughs> if you have an investment bond in your life, then at some point you've met a financial advisor. Most likely, yes. Am I right? Do you think it's reasonable for me to say it's not the kind of thing that people go and just pick out themselves?
2: Yeah. And also, most of the direct um, consumer platforms don't offer them. They just offer pension
0: prices. All right. So what Sarah was saying to us then, first thing, if we're talking about one of these investment bonds, it's kind of simple as far as there is no capital gains. It's not treated as capital gain. Anytime tax comes into play, it's going to be income tax that you're playing with. So, Michelle, is there anything else that you would like to add to what Sarah was saying on the income tax side?
1: I think being very mindful of the bonds, they are complicated, which is why you say you've probably seen a financial advisor if you've got one. Um, It wouldn't be something that would naturally spring to people's minds. In terms of what they are, so one of the definitions is they're a life policy. So they're written like a life insurance policy. So that's how you'll see it as a life assured. And you can have one or many life assures. But the other side of it is, they are deemed non-income producing. So, for somebody who has a very high tax burden who wants growth within of their investments, you're not going to have what you have with a GIA. You're not going to have that taxable issue each month. But they are deemed as non-income producing, even though you pay income tax on them in the end. It's very—it's what I mean. They're very complicated. They're not straightforward, um, but they very much have a a place. With what we do with clients, and let's say, you know, that's if you do have one, you're looking to take money out of it. The one thing I would really say is please go and see your financial advisor, financial planner, because it's really important that there can be tax implications when you take the money out, even though it may be deferred, depending on your income at that time.
0: All right, I think that's a really good point. And I'm glad you covered it off because you're saying they are deemed as non-income producing. You're like, but hang on, I have to pay income tax on it. That's when you start to try and get money out of it. While it's just sitting there growing, doing its thing, even if it's generating income while it's doing its thing, no income tax liability. It's only once you touch it and try and get money out of it that potentially you've got an income tax charge. As Michelle said, It gets complicated then, (laughs) which is why you want one of us involved. Now, one of us was probably put it in place for really specific reasons because it suited your specific circumstances. So you need one of us to interpret it as well. So I think that's fantastic. We've done a whistle-stop tour there of the four main products and how income tax and capital gains tax interacts with them. Did we miss anything, ladies? Did I miss anything? Well, only if there's there are other types of ISAs. Oh, oh, yeah, good point. Let's do a quick rewind to the ISA bit. Okay, so what else would we throw into the ISA category, Sarah?
2: Um, there are two key ones. There's the Junior ISA, which replaced the Child Trust Fund, um, and there's also a Lifetime ISA. I quite like the Lifetime ISAs for um, for younger people now because. It gives them a little bit more flexibility because it can be saving up for their first home or for retirement. And you get 25% back from the government. So um, That is a big juicy bonus from them, isn't it? Yeah, you can only save in 4,000 a year.
0: Uh, What I'd say about the lifetime ISA is there are lots of rules around Mm -hmm. how you use it. And you must read the rules properly before you start one because otherwise it will come back to bite you. Uh, is there anything else that people need to know about a junior, ISAR?
1: I think one of the things that would spring to mind is, I think you all know my children, the age of my children, they're around 18, 19, and child trust funds, which were sort of came out when they were babies, are all starting to now mature. So this is sort of a different world. They're not something you have anymore, because the government gave you some money each year towards them. That stopped fairly soon after it started. <laughs> um But if they were invested and they were added to, if you have a child trust fund for your child, you cannot open a junior ISA as well. You must transfer the child trust fund to a junior ISA and then put money into the junior ISA afterwards. You cannot hold both. And that's one thing I think a lot of people trip up on because they see them as very different things. Um, with them all now maturing, one thing I would say is if you're not sure about what you've got with a child trust fund, I would speak to somebody. I would speak to an advisor because it can become a little bit tricky trying to work out what you have, what you can do with it. Um, but ultimately, the money does become the child's fully at 18. Eighteen. So that's really important to, to know. It's not your money. It's not anything you can control. It does become theirs.
0: I think that's a good point. And we're recording this on the 26th of July, everybody. And oddly enough, there was a headline this morning on the BBC news website, 1.7 billion. I'm going to say that again, 1.7 billion in child trust funds not claimed. So if you have children around about the same age as Michelle, you might want to go and sort through your paperwork because the chances are that you might have one of these knocking around somewhere. Go and get your share of the 1.7 billion. That's a crazy amount of money. Okay, so we've covered off then Child Trust Funds, uh, Junior ISAs, uh, Lifetime ISA, really, really good for the right people. But read the rules before you go and start one. Uh, Is there anything else?
1: Junior ISA is only £9,000 a year compared to £20,000 for an
0: adult. All right. Thank you, Michelle. Okay, so what we've done then is we started with the general investment account, which is your feeder bucket. You, don't, you want to p- take as much of the money in that and squeeze it into the other buckets as you can because it's horrible that when they tax you. So you can put it into the pension bucket, which is wonderfully tax efficient but complicated. You can put it into the ISO, which is really simple and tax free. Uh, you probably aren't going to go out and buy an investment bond all on your own. You, you want to speak to one of us, but if you've got one, hopefully you know a little bit more about it now. Now, we have just covered income tax and capital gains tax in this episode because we have not touched on inheritance tax because it would be a much longer episode than this one. If that is something you're interested in, then I know that Emily's going to be doing an episode very soon on how to pass on wealth, which will cover inheritance tax. If you would like us to talk about inheritance tax in more detail, then do drop us a message and let us know and we will arrange an episode just for you. But for now, this has been your Whistle Stop Tour of the different product wrappers and their taxation we hope you have found it helpful if you've got any questions feel free to reach out to myself michelle or sarah at any point and we will help but until next time please take care of yourselves thanks for listening to the women in money cafe if you've enjoyed it please leave us a review, it really does help. And also please note the podcast is for education and information only, and doesn't constitute personal financial advice. Please reach out to one of us or any of the other fantastic financial advisors in the UK for that kind of help.